This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, people, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here. State of the Tennis Union post-U.S. Open, a couple of days after the Open ended. Oh, boy, there's a lot to digest, a lot to talk about. Just posted on Twitter what people want to hear about. <clears throat> I'm not surprised. Let's start with uh, let's start with this. Is there an asterisk next to the winners, particularly on the men's side? Uh, even though, by the way, a lot of the more of the top women did not play the U.S. Open this year than the top men. Of course, we were missing. Mr. Nadal, because he didn't want to come to uh, the United States, particularly in New York. Well, more the United States. Didn't want to leave uh, Europe. He's now in Rome. How about the statement he sent just by the way, beating Karina Busta one and one, okay? A guy who just made the semis of the U.S. Open, plays him in his first match back, and literally beat down City. From Mr. Nadal. But anyway, I I went off on a tangent as I always do because this is a podcast. I can do whatever I want. Sitting here in my third floor. I sent a little video out. People didn't like the lighting. You know, get over it. Okay. This is just uh it is what it is. We're just communicating. I want to hear what you people want to hear me talk about. So there's no asterisk next to the title US Open winner 2020 Dominic team. Okay. Would Dominic Team have won, had won the tournament? Let's say if, if just Djokovic were there because he obviously uh, had the incident where he hit the ball, hit the person, the lines person in the throat, immediately disqualified out of the tournament. It was the only decision. You want to argue whether or not that should be the rule. We could maybe have that argument. But at the end of the day, there was no other choice for the USTA, for the US Open, to uh, send him out of the tournament. It was against Karina Busta, by the way. It just dropped serve to go down 6-5. Um, he would have won the match. Of course he would have won that match. He owns guys like Karina Busta. But he didn't. Hit the ball in frustration. Hit someone in the neck. He's out of the tournament. Now, Dominic Team. I believe if Djokovic had gotten through that, uh, he would have for sure been in the final, and he would have for sure been the favorite against Team. But to say that Team would have had no chance against him would be woefully mistaken. Okay, particularly when you see the fact that Djokovic lost to Team last year at the French Open. Uh, okay, the conditions were rough. We know that, uh, but doesn't matter. Team on clay against Djokovic. Maybe 50-50 match. Maybe team's slight favorite now. Very tight. Uh, obviously, in a hard court, they played this year in Australia. Uh, team had him, up to, had him down two sets to one. Djokovic came back to win it in five. Uh, you know, Djokovic's best on a hard court is better than team. We know that. But there's, the team could have won it. So anyway, it doesn't matter because the fact is that Federer was injured, which is going to happen to players as they get older. So he wasn't here. Nadal wasn't here because of COVID. So team took advantage of the opportunity. I mean, what a, it, was a, it was a crazy match in the final. Zverev came out, actually played solid in the beginning. Team was tight as a drum. If any of you saw the broadcast, I got to interview him uh, 
before the match, and you could tell he was tight, and it was you know so it's a different it was a different feeling for him going into the final because of the fact that he was the favorite to win. He was supposed to win. Remember the three other finals he's played in majors. Uh, Djokovic, the Australian, as I said, this year, and then two French Opens, the last two French Open finals against Nadal. So the first one, he goes in there a couple years ago, there's no shot, gets dusted in straight sets. Uh, And the last year, you know, he won a set, but he was still never really, uh, he was never close to winning the match. He was a lot closer to winning the Australian this year. So... uh, I was surprised he was that tight, I have to be honest. I didn't think he'd be that tight. Zverev came out and, you know, actually played fairly freely. He was super tight against Karenia Busta in the semifinal. So clearly the fact that none of the big three were there uh, after Djokovic was kicked out, uh, that affected, you know, the nerves of these top guys. Medvedev team was a, was a tight three-set match in the semis. Uh, I thought it would go longer than that, even though Medvedev could have won and maybe should have won both the second and third sets. But team uh, was was a little too solid. Actually showed a lot more variety than I expected in that match, using the slice backhand a lot. And uh, Medvedev just couldn't, you know, just couldn't quite get over the hump. I mean, he had some. He had a terrible first set, and he let that one call, bad call, affect him. And then he sort of gave away the first set pretty quickly but really could have and should have won the second and third set. So, But team played the bigger points better. I think the fact that he'd been there you know, many times before his experience, uh, won through in the semis and then again in the final. And obviously you had both guys super tight <clears throat> in the championship match uh, with you know second serves barely getting over the net. It makes you appreciate what we've seen in the last 10, 15 years, you know, with these three all-time greats. And then, you know, guys like Murray and and uh, Del Potro won one, but then Stan, the man, Wawrinka. I mean, Stan Wawrinka played some of the most unbelievable... Te- I mean, remember, he beat Djokovic a couple of times in major finals. Uh, um, it's uh, it's blanking me who he beat in the third, so I, I apologize for that. He beat... Uh, the French, he beat, oh, is it Murray? I think he beat Murray in the final of the French or the semis. But uh, the point is, and he beat Djokovic in a couple, including once at the Open. So <clears throat> he had to play unbelievably well. It wasn't like, it, you know, there was none of that tightness that you saw in this particular match. It just, it just wasn't there. Um, so, but that being said, it was high drama. You know, I was courtside for the, <clears throat> the semi and the final. And uh, to be sitting there with, you know, a handful of other people, it was bizarre. It was surreal. And that's, so anyway, no asterisk. Team gets it done. We'll, if he never wins another major, we'll look, on it, we'll look at this a little bit differently. But I don't believe that's the case. I think he'll win a few more majors. Obviously, the French is, is a possibility for him to win, even in a couple weeks' time. Although Nadal will be, the, obviously, the solid favorite. But even on a hard court. Uh, team, you got to put up there as uh, uh, one of the guys that can win it. You know, over the next, he's 20, he just turned 27, I think he is. Five to seven years, super fit, very athletic. So he's going to have his chance. I believe he'll win a few more. I don't think he's going to win. I'd be surprised, to be honest, uh, if he wins more than, you know, three or four overall, uh, because I think there's younger guys coming. 
and younger guys that I think are capable of being, you know, big time major winners like Sinner from Italy. How about this Musetti guy this week in Italy? Another young Italian guy who's had a couple of monster wins already. So I think there's other younger guys coming. Shapovalov, you know, he lost to Karenia Busta in five. That was a match that he probably should have won. Uh, OJ Aliassime, is he ready to make another? But, you know, these guys are coming. And I think out of the that younger crew, you're probably going to see some great players come through. And team team's obviously a great player. But will he be like, is, who's better right now? Would you say team or Murray? I would say Murray. That would be what I would say at the moment. Now, maybe that changes over the next couple of years. Uh, let's get to the women because um, amazing last couple of matches. Osaka Brady was, you know, I got uh, the privilege to call that one with Chrissy Everett uh, in my play-by-play role, and that was an awesome match. I mean, it was – and one of the other questions, by the way, I've been getting from you on Twitter – is, you know, do you think that you know, being in the bubble and no fans, how did that affect certain players? And I would say it definitely like a player like Jennifer Brady, who's incredibly, unbelievably athletic, had a great run, took Osaka to three sets, but she's someone that sort of shied away, you know, from being, you know, she's not a star yet, but she's now on her way with her run, but you know, she's a player that I look at and say, hmm, if this was the normal U.S. Open, would she have played that well throughout the whole tournament? I mean, maybe her first time on Arthur Ashe, whether it's the round of 16 or the quarters. Uh, you know, she played Kerber, for example. She just destroyed Kerber. I mean, she destroyed everyone in her path. She didn't lose more than four games in a set going into the semifinals against Osaka. Uh, but that's a player who I think um, could have been a little more affected uh, by the fans and, you know, just the energy and the buzz and the pressure that comes with it. That being said, I love her game. Amazing forehand, uh, excellent all-around game. The backhand's improved a lot. She went toe-to-toe with Osaka. And Osaka hits the ball cleaner, I think, and bigger off the ground than, than any other player. She's not as consistent as some of the other top players. You know, you think of Halep, who didn't come, who's in Rome now playing this week. Um, you think of Barty, you know, who didn't come, who's not going to Europe either because Australia's got, you know, all other issues as far as getting out of the country. Um, but I, I, I love the way she handled Osaka's pace. She went toe-to-toe with her. She blinked a little bit early in that third set after she played a great second set to get back even. Um, and Osaka just, uh, you know, a little more security when it really mattered, played a great third set, made very few unforced errors. That, to me, that was the most fun match. I mean, obviously, Azarenka, Serena was a great match, too, and Serena came out hot, uh, but Azarenka sort of worked her way back. So another question coming to me is, what about Serena? You know, can she win another one? Well, she can. And, you know, if you get this close this many times, you know, she was in four finals uh, up until, you know, after she had her baby, now it's been a couple of years. Her, her daughter is a couple of years old. She gets to the semis here. She plays a great first set against Azarenka. Um, but the fear factor is not what it once was uh, from, for the other players. And why is that? Well, it's because Serena's not as dominant. She's not as good as she once was. She's still really good. 
She still, you know, willed her way to get into the second week. You know, she had quite a few matches where, um, you know, she dropped sets and she, you know, her movement's not what it used to be. The movement's not phenomenal. It's still pretty good, but it's not great. The serve is still there. So I wasn't that surprised that Azarenka came back to beat her. Um, she can match her off the ground. She moves well. She's incredibly feisty, even, even when she played Serena in 2012, 2013 and lost to her a couple times in the finals at the Open. You know, she, she wasn't intimidated by Serena. You know, some players go out there, even really, really good players, and they see Serena and they see her, you know, intensity and her physique and her athleticism and her mind and how strong she is. They just, like, fold. And Azarenka was, is, was never like that. So... She was able to now, you know, from a just strictly tennis standpoint, match her ground stroke to ground stroke, the movement, you know, better for Azarenka. And it was a hell of a run for her. And then Osaka comes out in the final a little bit tight, maybe affected by the fact that there was no crowd. But, uh, you know, that didn't happen in previous matches. So, you know, why, why say that now? Final's different, though, in Osaka's, but she's been there before. So is Azarenka. Um, sometimes you have to also say, you know, it's not just a crowd. It's just, uh, you know, it's a final. It's a little nerves. The other player plays well, and you've got to adjust to that. Osaka did that, got down a set and a break, and then quickly turned things around, which I, I, was, I was surprised. It, 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 no, I guess I wasn't surprised it went the distance, but, uh, you know, I just think Osaka just has way more firepower than Azarenka. I mean, she's maybe... What, what does Azarenka have that Osaka doesn't have? Maybe she's more consistent, but she doesn't hit the ball nearly as big, uh, nearly as early. She can hit the ball early up the line on the backhand, yes. Osaka's serve is better. I was unimpressed, by the way, with Osaka's second serve, particularly against Brady, who was able to attack it a little bit more. Um, uh, I was, so that's something that I think can get a lot better from her if it does look out because that to me was a shot that could really be attacked and uh brady was able to do it i thought i thought she was a little late to the party on doing that as Arenka, you know couldn't do it as much she doesn't have quite as much heaviness of shot weight of shot that brady has certainly on the forehand so it was an interesting tournament uh certainly it was the weirdest thing for me when people ask me about what was it like to be in the bubble you know, other than ordering your food two, three days in advance and getting it in a paper bag every time. By the way, it was, a good, it was good food. It was from a kind of a nice Italian restaurant in Queens, which is the borough where the U.S. Open is played, for those of you not aware. I, I was born and raised in Queens, by the way, about 15 minutes from the site of the U.S. Open. Uh, so there's a lot of great restaurants there, Italian, Greek, uh, Korean, you name it, all over Queens. And uh, the, anyway, the USTA got catering service from this awesome Italian restaurant. So you would have to order like three days in advance what you wanted. Chicken, shrimp, steak, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, by the way. So it got a little old, like getting the brown bag, you know, you'd pick it up. Or we have an amazing team at ESPN, so they would, you know, go pick it up for you if you were calling a match, deliver it to you. Uh, I must have gotten about... I'm going to say eight, eight or nine COVID tests during the tournament. So I was treated like, actually, like a lot of the players were. It's called Tier 1. Uh, there were Tier 1 uh, people, the players, their teams, 
high-level USTA officials that would, you know, interact with the players. But if you were like a person working on the grounds, you may have been a tier two, which means maybe you didn't get tested quite as often, but you weren't allowed to be in the same proximity to the players and their teams that someone like me was, you know, interviewing them on the set, interviewing them before the match. Even then, you know, we had to keep our distance. We had to wear a mask. People would say, why are you wearing a mask when you're in the crowd? You know, calling the match or one match, I was walking around the stadium because I was doing courtside and I went up and I, you know, took a trip and had the cameraman follow me to, you know, put some fun into the broadcast. And people said, oh, you're an idiot, Patrick. Why are you wearing a mask? Well, we wore a mask because, first of all, that was a rule, okay, from the USDA. Uh, did I need to have a mask for COVID purposes when I'm at the top of the stadium? There's no one there. Of course not. But you're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to take extra precautions, and you're trying to send the right message. So USDA, understandably, was very sensitive to that, but in a way that was smart. You know, it kept everybody uh, safe. Benoit Pair is was the only singles player that tested positive during the tournament, and then he was immediately... Uh, pulled out of the tournament, had to go into quarantine in his room in, in Long Island. So that was a little bit of a, of a shit show. I can say that because it's my podcast because there's a bunch of other players that had been in contact with him playing cards, you know, hanging out in the player lounge, other French players. So they went into like a, remember the old um, uh, movie Animal House, Double Secret Probation? They went into like double lockdown where they had a, you know, they could only come from the hotel, go to the courts. They couldn't even go to the any player areas, even with a mask on. They had to have a security guard outside their, their suite if they were a seated player. So a lot of the players were, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to take a drink. We're not that happy about that. That had to deal with that. And obviously, Pear wasn't happy because he got pulled out of the tournament. He wasn't feeling well, by the way, during the Western and Southern Open. Um, so he maybe got a mild case of it. You know, is it possible he got a false positive? I guess that's possible. Um, you hear that that's happened at times. But overall, okay, the U.S. Open happened. And I've been saying this all along. I'll say it one more time. Would you have preferred no U.S. Open or a U.S. Open with no fans? And I think most of us, I know the players that came, and by the way, I was thinking to myself, as the tournament was unfolding, I bet there's a bunch of players that now wish they had come because it was safe. I was incredibly impressed with the level of, of play, the level of intensity of the players. I mean, I walked out during the first week of the tournament, um, you know, before I was, you know, I was doing the late match, so the first match was going on, so I would walk out and check out some outer court matches, so Riley Opelka, so Guido Pella, whose trainer had tested positive, so he had to quarantine, and that you know wasn't a great situation. He had to go play, you know, wasn't allowed to, to to practice, and so on. But he still got to play in the tournament. You know, watched him, and uh, it was weird, man. It was surreal walking around, especially at night. At night, it was much weirder than during the day. And during the day, you had lots of players around, not lots, but you know, all the players. Their teams, they'd be hanging out in this, their suite if they were a seated player watching other matches. You know, you'd see them walking around the grounds. But at night, it was just totally eerie. 
the grounds because normally that's when the U.S. Open comes alive. There's so much buzz. There's electricity. People came come from the city, whether they're big, big corporate types or whether they're just normal tennis fans coming out on the outer courts. I found that the most unsettling <clears throat> of time of day. And then when I would call a match at night uh, and I'd leave the commentary booth, and, you're, and where our commentary booth is set up is next to all the uh, big suites. In fact, for many years, the suite right next to us was Donald Trump's suite. That he, he had. They took his name off it a couple of years ago when he became president. But he used to come a lot to the open and, you know, kind of use it like many other corporations use it as, you know, entertaining clients. So when, you, when I would leave the booth, you know, you'd always run into people you know, initially people that have the corporate suites because we're on the same level, our ESPN booth. And so you'd see, you know, some of the same people. Well, you always see, hey, Pat, you know, what a match. Great match. Love you. Hate you. And your, your brother stinks. You're great. No, no, your brother's better. You know, that kind of stuff. The New, the New York sports fans. Um, so, and then you would walk out, and then I'd walk out into, like, the main area, you know, where there'd be tons of people. And uh, it, was, it was so weird going to my car going to the transportation to go to the hotel. I stayed at the hotel by the airport, LaGuardia Airport. Um, and it was just bizarre walking out of there and no energy. And uh, we felt that. My brother and I, I think my brother felt it even more because he was, he's, 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 we're both New Yorkers, but he's got more like that, you know, New York vibe and energy um, than I do somehow. Uh, he epitomized it in a lot of ways in the way he went about his business on the court. So he really thrived on that. And I think he thrives on it as a commentator too. And so I think that affected him a bit. And so, you know, we tried to keep it light. And, but I think he was even having the opinion during the summer, like should we even really have a U.S. Open? Where I was more of the opinion, like if we can have it, we should have it because I think it would be good for tennis good for the sport, good for the country, um, good for New York, certainly good for the players. You know, I, I, people say this all the time. Well, you know, tennis players, they make all this money. Well, most of them don't. I mean, they don't, most, the top players make a t fortune, you know, the top, top. But the average tennis player, um, you know, they don't, it's not like they're, they don't, and, and there's no guaranteed contracts in tennis. Okay, so that's the difference. And then in other sports, so even if they take a pay cut as a major league player or an NBA player, okay, so they take a 10 or 15% pay cut. I'm making this up. I don't know what it is. But even if they did or they didn't, in tennis, I mean, you're done. Your income's just completely shut off because the only way you make money is to go to a tournament and get a paycheck. And the paycheck, uh, however you do in the tournament, determines your paycheck. So, of course, there's a few players that have big uh, you know, contracts with their shoe company, their clothing company, their racket company. There are very few of them. Very few. So I was happy to see it happen. Uh, I was always optimistic that it would happen. Not always, but I was always hopeful that it would happen. So it did happen. And I got to give my former employer, the USCA, who did employ me for many years as a Davis Cup captain and then running player development. They did a, they did a great job. And I'm not just saying that to blow smoke. They did a great job. Players were safe. They felt safe. Uh, they had to take a bus back and forth or in their, their own car with a driver, and they did their part. You know, by the way, there were players fined for not, like, abiding by the protocol, whether it was, you know, wearing a mask when they came out to watch, you know. I think Zverev actually got fined for doing that because he would go out and watch. And, you know, of course, 
it's safe. He's totally by himself. But again, it's, you know, the cameras are there. It's going out to the world. And the USDA was trying to show everybody that we're going above and beyond. And I think that uh, they were able to do that. So let's hope, everybody, that uh, this is the one and only time we'll see a U.S. Open played with no fans. We're all hoping that. Uh, Rome is going on as we speak. I mentioned that a little bit. Uh, great field there for the men and the women. And then the French Open is due to happen you know, in a week and a half from now. So that will be very interesting again. But uh, I appreciate all of you listening in to uh, Holding Court. Keep uh, sending me messages on social media of what else you want to hear. Uh, and I will get to that at a later date. All the best. Holding Court, State of the Union, post Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.